if you want community free church to be a real Christian community, then you have to change. Because you cannot have a Christian community unless the members of the community are willing to change. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that uh, my wife and I uh, have any problems uh, with this community at all. In fact, one of the reasons we started coming here about a year ago was that Deb and I saw you guys have a real vibrant Christian community as well as great biblical preaching. And so that drew us to you. We were in Florida before that, and uh, people will say, well, why did you move up here then? What's wrong with you? And uh, we got kicked out, actually, of Florida. No, we really got tired of the uh, heat and humidity, and we decided to uh, come up, up north where uh, you get some seasons, and we really enjoy it. This morning, I was looking out at the snow flurries going, ah, oh, this is great. You never see that in Florida. But it's a simple fact that to be a follower of Christ, there has to be a change. And that's true of being a community as well. What is it exactly that must change to create real Christian community? Well, we're looking at the book of Acts. And early on here, we get a snapshot, a picture of the early church and what it looks like, and that's what we're going to zero in on today, this really unique snapshot picture of this Christian community. So let's look at Acts 2, 40 through 47. This is where we are in our series. And with many other words, Peter bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I think this uh, passage presents a, a beautiful picture of, of this early church. And you can see exactly here what must change to create this kind of community. I've identified three things. First of all, there needs to be a change in your personal identity. See, there's a way that you normally think of yourself. And that way of how people think of themselves changed at this point. Secondly, there was a change 
in worship, the things that impressed them, the things that occupied their minds, and the things they studied and thought about, where they put a lot of their energy. There was a change in worship. And then thirdly, there was a change in attitude, in the moods that we all go through, the joy, the relationship to other people, how we relate to events and all that sort of thing. That outline you can follow with this little insert in your bulletin. It's there every week. And today what we're going to do is go through Acts 2, 40 through 47 and identify these three things that I mentioned there. First of all, let's look at change of identity. Acts 2, verse 40, puts it this way. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Notice how the publishers of the ESV put that quotation in there, quote, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Now, this is not a reference to the Romans and that Greek mentality of the Mediterranean, that whole pagan environment. This is a reference to the Jewish community that they were all a part of. The earliest believers were Jewish believers. And that's the message that Peter is giving them there in Jerusalem. Keep in mind, that's exactly why John the Baptist came. Because it was a crooked generation that needed to be called back to repentance. And it was his job to make them aware of this fact. See, when it comes to your identity, you're not always aware. That's why people go to therapists, <laughs> because a therapist can help you see who you really are. That's what having a, another person outside of yourself give you feedback. That's why it's so terrible if you don't ever listen to your spouse, because they see you a different way than you see yourself. We need to have our identities challenged frequently. And so that's what's going on here. They're, they're being made aware of the culture that they've come to accept as status quo. This, this crooked generation, they didn't look at it that way. They looked at it as normal. And here Peter is, he's giving them a challenge. But notice how they respond. They respond with baptism. And of course, that's also part of what John's doing. Is he calling them to baptism and also pointing out a higher baptism, a more powerful baptism that will take place with the coming of the Messiah. You know, in... Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.2, you find these very unusual words. It says, And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now what he's talking about there is how the people of Israel came out of Egypt. 
And then they went through this experience in the wilderness. We even talk that way somewhat in our day and age. We might say of somebody who's been in combat that they went through a baptism by fire. And what we mean by that is, well, you can't really simulate warfare until you've actually been through it. And when you're through it, you come out a changed person. You have a whole different set of awarenesses and ways of looking at things. There's a change in your identity because of what you went through. And if you think about it, your identity is similar because it's based on what you went through. Your identity is, for the most part, in the past. Where do you get your identity from? It's your past. If you woke up, if everybody here woke up with amnesia, and we wandered into this building, we'd have no idea who we were or why we were here. Because we didn't, wouldn't have a past. And yet, at the same time, our past can be a major problem. It can weigh us down. It can haunt us. We can make us feel guilty. People who are famous for deathbed confessions and showing great anxiety as they face the abyss. Well, this is part of the good news, is that Christ actually comes and gives us a new identity. Didn't you struggle with your identity? Haven't you been through that? You know, who am I? Where do I fit in? You know, you walk in the building. You know, do people know you? Do, do people respect you? I think it's probably when you're a little kid, you know, that you first get a clue about this because, oh, some well-meaning adult comes up to you and says, so, Johnny, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you're thinking, I don't know. What are we talking about? Very few little kids really have a clear picture of what they want to be. Some do, but that's rare. Usually it's like, oh, a fireman. Okay, good choice, boy. You know, or hi, Wendy, what do you want to be when you grow up? A nurse. And see, what you do is right away you learn very early on that your identity is not good enough. You need to have a different identity. You got to have more that you add to that identity. And then it just snowballs from there. You know, you end up going to high school and you think, well, who's my identity here? You get older. You know, you say, I want to be a mother. Some poor people can never be mothers and they want to be. And it's a sad, sad thing because they feel like, oh, my identity is crushed and wiped out. I don't have, a, I don't have an identity. All these other women, they talk about their kids. Guys, you know, you go through similar things. You want respect for the job you do. You want to have credibility in your world, your office, the things you're accomplishing. Even in the church, your identity can be wrapped up in the things that you do. You know, I've been the chairman of the missions committee for 40 years. Well, it might be time for somebody else to be the chairman. Don't worry, I'll show them how to do it. Well, you know, maybe we want somebody to come in who does it a different way. 
You know, what happens is we can exchange our identity in Christ to an identity with a job in the church. I've been a greeter. I've been an elder. I've been in charge of children's ministry. And these can become real hurdles to overcome, not only with yourselves, but with the people who run the church. They can't fire you. You're a volunteer. But if your identity is not in Christ, see, then you cease to be a servant. And instead, you want to carve out your own little niche of where you fit in in the church. That's why I say you have to have a change of identity. And that's what you see here in this early church. You see these people identifying themselves as followers of Christ. And that's what I mean when I ask this question, what must change to create this kind of community? First of all, what has to change is your identity. And then the second thing that has to change is worship. A change of worship. What do I mean when I say this, that you have to change your worship? Well, you can see evidence of that in the text. Acts 2, 42, 43, 46, 47. They say, listen to this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. Have you ever thought about that? That sounds like church. That sounds like coming together for worship, hearing God's word, connecting with one another, communion, the breaking of bread, prayers. And then something that's probably more familiar when we use the term worship, as as Michael prayed, that sense of awe. You see that in verse 43. It comes upon every soul. That's what we often want to muster and dredge up uh, and work up in ourselves when we come to, to worship on Sunday mornings. We want to have a sense of awe. We want to be able to, to sing the words with feeling and, and meaning, not just mouth them. Certainly that's not what we want. We want people who are sincerely praising God. You, It says that very thing here in verse 46, day by day, attending the temple together. That's going to the temple for worship, praising God, it says. Why did they go to the temple for worship? Well, you have to to remember something very important, that these Jewish people knew that God wanted them to worship at the temple. There's a famous story about the woman at the well where Jesus needs a drink of water. And so he asks the Samaritan woman for a drink and she ends up engaging him in a theological discussion. And she points out that you Jews say we have to worship in Jerusalem, but we Samaritans, we've been worshiping here since time immemorial. We, we worship where Jacob lived. Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, right here on Mount Gerizim. We're worshiping right here at this historical location. And Jesus says, well, you Samaritans don't know what you worship. Because worship comes from the Jews. And the right place to worship is Jerusalem. He says that. But then he says, however, a time is coming when the true worshipers 
will worship neither here nor in Jerusalem, but will worship in spirit and truth, so that where two or three are gathered, there I will be in their midst. Now, this early church is figuring this out. They're working this, they're working this out in their minds, trying to, to see how does this apply exactly. But the point is that everybody has to worship. You know, anthropologists have uh, discovered something, a very interesting difference between between human babies and chimpanzee babies. At very early age, human babies will point to something. Chimpanzees never do, neither as babies nor as adults. Why is that? Well, one major reason is because humans are hardwired to want to share among the community their experience. We, we are fascinated by certain things, and so we point them out. We say, did you see that football game yesterday? It doesn't have to be just with a finger, you see. We're trying to always draw people in to the things that we think are impressive. And that's what you see them doing in sharing this community. They say, we need to get together as a community and worship God, because he's impressive. In fact, all humans do this, whether they're religious or not. Because all humans are looking for something that's bigger than themselves something they can immerse themselves in, something that, that is sort of infinite, like your golf swing. You'll never get it right. You can work on it forever. You can be Tiger Woods, and it'll never be perfect. It's bigger than you. It's something you can worship. It's something you can devote your life to. Or gardening. You can master gardening. You can become a master gardener here in the Northern Hemisphere, but then there's the equator. How do you do that? Children, ooh, the bottomless pit. They're all different. Just when you have one, you think you know how to raise the next one, they come out different than the other one. You can never catch up. There are so many things that you could secretly worship and you wouldn't be aware that you're worshiping them. You'd think it's normal to be this way. It, it's normal to worship the creation instead of the creator. I'm into my family. What's wrong with that? That's a perfectly good, wholesome value. Well, if that's your whole reason for living, that's no different than idolatry. It's sad that we are always looking for something that's bigger than us and we fail to see that it's God that we really thirst after. There's nothing wrong with getting immersed in the world of skiing or the world of relationships or trying to learn how to be a good manager of business. There's nothing wrong with immersing yourself into fishing and things like that. 
But what's wrong is when those things replace the creator that created them. And we're all made to point. We're all made to say, hey, look at this. This is really worthwhile. And then they want to share that with the community. That's what church is about. It should be about that. See? That's why I say change of worship is one of the major things that has to happen if you want to be the kind of Christian community you see in the text here. Worship of what is important, of what is of ultimate importance. So we must, what must change to create this kind of community, I ask you? Well, first of all, identity, but then secondly, a change of worship. And now here's the third thing that has to change that I see in this text. It's attitude. In Acts 2.40, we read these words now three times, but there's so much in them. Look at this. And with many other words, Peter bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. Notice that they received the word. It means they became teachable. There were many who did not receive the word. There were many who were critical of the word. But those who receive the words are people who become teachable, a new attitude, an openness and a willingness to learn something, not to be know-it-alls, not to be saying, well, you know, I've heard all this before. And look at verse 42 there. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Maybe, maybe you don't think we have the apostles here, so we don't have the apostles' teaching, but that's exactly what the New Testament is, is the apostles' teachings. That's why we study the New Testament. Now, you first notice that these people become teachable instead of having this self-sufficient attitude, this whole, this whole know-it-all attitude. They know they need to learn something and they're willing to be taught, but that's not all that's here. Notice this. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Now, First of all, this is a timely reminder at Thanksgiving, right, about having an attitude of Thanksgiving. You want to transform your life, stop complaining and start giving thanks for all things in Christ. It will radically change you. And you'll begin to see things in life that you didn't recognize before. You'll see God at work in myriads of ways that never occurred to you. So that's an important aspect of this, change of attitude to become a thankful person instead of a complaining person. But there's even more here. Notice verses 44 and 46, how it uses that word together. And all who believed were together. See that? 
And in verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together. Now, if you just look at those two phrases by themselves, separately, they look almost identical. In the English, you know, it makes perfect sense to talk about together in this way. But in the Greek, there are different nuances to each one of those words. In the first instance, together there means that they were in one place. It's very specific in the Greek. I don't know, I'm not a translator, so I don't know why they translate them the same, but they did, and, and I'm, I'm parsing it here so you can see the nuance. They, they were in one place in, in the first sense of when it says they were together, but in the second sense of when they were together, it's talking about how they had the same mind. They think alike. Now, you don't get to either one of those places without an effort. And, and like Benjamin said a couple of weeks ago, I think, he said, you know, you, you look at what you see in the early church, and it's messy, as, as they're called to repent. But it's good. <laughs> it's messy, but, but it's good. And I think that's what we're reading here. That in our culture, people just are constantly moving around, driving around. It'd be just as easy probably for you to come to this church as any other church. There's hundreds of them around here. You can't be part of a fellowship if you're not willing to be in a place. Because we're people of place. We're not, we're not transcendent spirits that can somehow commune on some cosmic level without actually being in a similar place as other people. It's not simply a matter of the mind. If you're not here, it's hard to be part of the fellowship, of the community. I first observed this when I was in Florida. So many transients, people who come down for six months, and then want to be part of a fellowship. And then there's the grandmothers. They're always flying off to see the grandkids somewhere. They always said if there was a nuclear strike on our church, the grandmothers would survive because they're in the air somewhere orbiting over the United States. Even my wife, this week, where is she? She's not out there, no. She's in San Diego seeing the grandkids. So you can tell her when she gets back. <laughs> but seriously, if we're not willing to make the effort to come together and be part of the same place, see, that's what's so good on Sunday morning for me. It's tempting, just like you. Oh, maybe I won't go to church today. And then I say, yeah, but then I'll miss the people in that place. And we're of same mind when we get together. And I need to be there. Even if I'm spiritually lazy, I get in the car and I drive here and I'm always glad I do. Your, your preachers here are just awesome. I love both bends. You cannot have this kind of community that you see in the early church without that willingness to change attitude. 
the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. You see that on, on our slide? That's the last sentence of this text. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is because these people open themselves up to all kinds. You don't add people to your number day by day by being a little click. You don't add people to your number day by day with having a bad attitude toward outsiders. You have to make them feel welcome. And they're probably going to do stuff like spill coffee on your carpet. Maybe the deacons should have a goal that they have to replace their carpet every year because there's so many new people coming here that are spilling their coffee. What, a, what an amazing way to think about being stewards. Let's wear out the building. It does not happen naturally because we want to see our friends on Sunday morning and we want to spend time with our friends on Sunday morning and we want to connect with our friends on Sunday morning. And if everybody does that, then new people aren't going to find any friends. I remember talking to the elders of my church about this one time and uh, we, we were saying to the elders, hey, we need you guys to be out there. Our, our numbers are swelling. We need you to be out there being ambassadors and setting the tone for other people. Other people in the congregation will see our elders shaking hands and, and introducing themselves, and, and then maybe that'll help to be, you know, some, exert some leadership in the church. And yet one of the elders said, yeah, but you know why we don't want to do that? And we said, no, Why? And they said, because we want to sit with our families. I remember thinking, yeah, I want to sit with my family too. But I never can. And if I didn't go around and shake hands with everybody, you would probably want to fire me. But you're elders, and you're supposed to be setting a spiritual example and if you're not going to help assimilate people in the church, then who is? Me. The other pastors. No, it's, it's the people. It's a change of attitude. It's not just here for yourself. But you're here to glorify God by meeting others and welcoming them. Look how it says it here in John 13, 34 through 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That has to be shown. That has to be demonstrated. You cannot have the kind of community you see here in the book of Acts if you are not conscious, self-conscious about including other people. Why do we have a coffee ministry? Because you like coffee? No, it's hospitality. Do you know how many people go in there and hobnob and talk? It's, it's a synergy, the coffee is. It, it makes people connect. 
Why does Dolores stand outside every Sunday? By herself, I might add. She's like a one-man committee. We need other people who are excited about greeting and keeping records of who's coming and connecting names and faces. Somebody ought to be taking pictures in the nursery of the new parents that come in so people can say, oh, they're the, that's that new couple. No, you can't follow a new couple if you don't have pictures. How are you going to know? It takes creative energy and effort to make these kinds of connections, and it takes a change in attitude, too. Because if you don't change an attitude, then you'll just become the same old church that all the other same old churches are. Interested about themselves, their comfort. Got to have new people on committees. That's why I say these things about a change of attitude. First of all, change in identity, change in worship, change of attitude. You know, you, you get the the person who's been in charge of the missions committee for 40 years. And they say, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll invite some young people onto our committee. Well, maybe the young people don't want to join you on your committee. Maybe you need to let go and let the young people do it their way. You did it your way years ago. Maybe it's time for them to do it their way. Take the risk. Let them fail. Let them succeed. Let go of the reins. Include others. Hand it over. That's how this church was operating. They had no model. They had never done this before. I challenge you today. Be willing to change. To become community free church. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for reminding us of how you work in this world. It seems like it's always different than we expect, whether it's Jesus or the early church or in the Old Testament, women having children that couldn't, people being empowered who are ordinary. You're always turning things upside down. It's messy. We pray, God, that we can follow you to become the kind of community you want. In Jesus' name, amen.